Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands await for his law. This is the word of the Lord. In a year like 2020, where we've had this global pandemic, all of the, the sickness, the death, the, the social distancing, the quarantining to keep healthy people healthy, hopefully, financial strain on top of that, lost business for millions of Americans, maybe tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people around the globe. We have layered urban unrest on top of that with rioting and protests. We've had polarizing politics, a presidential election this year. We've had record wildfires, record other natural disasters like hurricanes and more. And I just think in the midst of all of this mess, which is 2020, what are you most longing for? See, I think of all years... I can't remember a time in my life where more people shared greater longings for something different, for something more, for something better than our current experience, be it a health scare or financial or political or a natural disaster of some kind. We long for something different. This Thanksgiving, as I just mentioned, created a lot of longings or reminded us of a lot of longings. Typically, every year, Marty and I host a bunch of like the orphaned people, people in the church or in our neighborhood who don't have family to go back to this year. And we just get a big mess of people together and have a great time. And it's always just this eclectic, odd group of random people who are having fun all day long. And we miss that relational joy of just sharing an important holiday for us. We long for the days when we can get back to some semblance of that. Not just racing church back to some former normal. We've talked many times about how we want to adapt and change and look forward to a new future with the church that the Lord has for us. But we have longings. And this is what we're going to be talking about today and over each of the next three weeks. And let me begin here by explaining the graphic. So for those of you who are here in the room, you can see this whole triple wide graphic. For those of you who are joining us online, we're gonna gonna zoom out beyond these pillars where we usually crop so you can see the whole thing so I can just explain it to you. And this is a... This is a visual representation of what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. So starting on this left side, you have an ancient city. And extending from that city toward the middle, you have these lines. And each of those lines represents a shared longing of ancient cultures that they're looking forward to. And they're longing for something better, something different, something more than what they already experience in their ancient culture. And then on the right side, you have a a modern city, but you see similar lines going back toward the middle. Because today, as a modern culture, we have deep longings that we share as a culture. Not just the individual things that are unique to you, but we as cultures share longings. And also what's meant to be pictured here is that we have very similar longings, actually, to all the people who have come before us. You know, people are people. 
And it doesn't matter whether they lived 2,000, 4,000, 8,000 years ago or whether they live today, we share similar longings. But a very important piece of this graphic, and I know this is probably harder to see online, is that these longings of ancient cultures and modern cultures converge in the middle and that negative space in the middle creates the cross of Jesus Christ because it is only there that the longings that we have are truly met and truly satisfied in a way that is fulfilling and that completes us as people made in the image of God. Okay, so that's that graphic and we're in a season called Advent. Richard mentioned this in the, in the song service. The, the word Advent just comes from the Latin for arrival. It means to arrive. And what we're doing with this season, and I think I say this every year, but three basic things we're doing. One, we are looking back to the first advent of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas. We're looking back with joy and celebration. We're looking back with praise and gratitude and saying, thank you, Jesus, for that first advent, for coming and becoming one of us in the first place. At the same time, we are also still people longing and looking forward We are looking forward to a second coming, a second advent, and we're looking forward with hope, believing that everything the Bible says Jesus will come and do, that he will really come and do all of that for us. So the third thing, as we look back, as we look forward, really what we're doing is we're identifying with the Old Testament saints and their longing. Because if you go back to the days of the patriarchs, the kings, the prophets, people like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these different people in the Old Testament, what were they longing for? And they said it probably a hundred different ways, but what they were longing for was actually a who. They were longing for a Messiah, which is like a super king a savior king, not just a king like an earthly person, but they're longing for someone anointed by God and sent from God to set everything right. And they're praying and they're feasting and they're meditating and they're thinking and they're conversing about, oh, that God would send his Messiah, his anointed servant, this savior king, And over the next four Sundays, we're going to focus on just four of those specific longings that are met in Messiah. And I chose these particular four because I think they resonate deeply with the current longings of our culture. So we're going to talk today about the longing for justice. We're going to talk next week, Lord willing, about the longing for freedom, and then the longing for peace, and then the longing for an identity. So let's begin with the longing of our culture. Let's actually start with us, okay? And in early May, our culture, many of you, hopefully all of you, in a sense, were outraged over a video that was posted online of two white men in a white truck following and then confronting and then shooting to death a black man as he jogged through a suburban neighborhood in Georgia, a man by the name of Ahmaud Arbery killed on the street by vigilantes who had appointed themselves the judge, jury, and executioner of someone who happened to look like someone who had entered a construction site. Just a couple weeks later, we were outraged again when a Minneapolis police officer arrested, handcuffed, 
put face down in the street a black man by the name of George Floyd and then knelt on his neck for nine minutes while he pleaded for his life and was eventually suffocated all on camera. Much closer to home, we're outraged by the death of Elijah McClain. Like, why did three officers stop a black boy for simply walking down the street when even the person who made the 911 call said, I don't think he's done anything wrong. He's just acting strange. He's waving his arms, which they later said he was probably listening in his ears to music and was dancing along. But he was arrested, put face down, twice put in a chokehold, knelt on for more than 15 minutes, injected with ketamine, and eventually rendered brain dead. Okay, do you know why there were serious protests in the urban areas of our country and even riots over the summer? Now, actually, there were many reasons. Okay, I don't want to oversimplify this. There were many reasons. Some people commandeered these instances to just wreak havoc, to just vent the fact that they were stuck at home, they were worked up, they were antsy about some other cause. But many, many people showed up and protested, especially in the urban areas of our country, because of a longing for justice. Thousands of people, maybe millions of people saying, enough is enough. We need justice. We need accountability. We need more and better fairness in our system. And I want to affirm that that longing for justice is healthy. It's good. It's right. And even if it offends you or bothers some of your sensibilities, the the longing itself for justice for oppressed individuals, or let me go a step further, when it appears to some of us that there are not just isolated instances of injustice, but there are actually systemic patterns of injustice in our society, it produces a deeper outrage, and some of you long for justice. You want to see a system change so that all people get their due. And there I just defined for you one of our terms. Justice is simply each one getting his or her due by fair and right standards. Righteousness, as some of these texts we're coming to talk about, righteousness is simply conformity to the standard. Like God holds up the standard and says, here is the standard. Righteousness means you have conformed to that standard. Unrighteousness means that you have not. Then I want to introduce a third term, and that's a term, equity. Our society today often confuses the term equity and the term equality. Okay, equality is essentially wherever you are on the spectrum of, of race, personal finance, status, your vocation, whoever you are, whatever you have, the equality is the idea of giving everyone exactly the same thing. Equity is giving fairly and impartially what each person needs. There's a famous cartoon that illustrates the difference between equality and equity. It's three people standing behind a fence trying to watch a baseball game over the fence. One of them's already tall enough to see over the fence. The next one is just shy of seeing over the fence. And then the third one is a little boy, I think. And he, yeah, he's not even close. Equality would be coming and giving each one of them a box to stand on. So the tall guy is even taller, but he could see anyway. The middle guy is now about the right height to see the baseball game, and the little guy still can't see anything. That's equality. Equity is like, this guy doesn't need a box. This guy needs one box, and this guy needs three. 
And if we spread things out fairly and impartially in that way, each of them then has the same experience or the same opportunity to experience something. And the Bible uses this word equity of our God. So that is the longing. Now let me talk just for a moment about the problem or the limitations with our longing. Think of it this way. What do you need in order to be truly just? If justice is giving each one his or her due, what do you need in order to do that with any measure of righteousness or justice? Well, you need complete objectivity, not partiality, not prejudice. You need objectivity. You need full access to the truth. You need the power and authority to overcome evil or unrighteousness that would hinder you from actually executing justice And you would need then a standard to enforce that justice. And therein lies the problem. Okay, we long for justice, but we are often prejudiced, even when we don't intend to be. Even when I refer to the the riots that happen in our urban areas, different ones of you have a different visceral reaction to that. Like it disgusts some of you. And you're like, yeah, what was the deal with all those people doing all that damage? And you have a certain perspective, right? You have certain lenses through which you view circumstances and those lenses and layers of lenses, they color, they distort the way that you view everything. And there isn't someone somewhere just standing there with no lenses. See, we all in our longing for justice have some place that we're standing, some viewpoint, some perspective, some lenses, And even when we want justice, it doesn't necessarily mean through the lenses lenses of our prejudice, we know exactly what that means or what exactly that should look like. So if you grew up in the home of a law enforcement officer, do you think you would view things a certain way versus if you had grown up in the home of someone, maybe a minority who had their father taken away from them because he passed marijuana and was imprisoned for 20 years? you would have a different perspective on the same event. Secondly, and this kind of hints at this, but we, none of us have the full picture. Rarely do any of us possess all the truth about anything. Now, this is why courts, as we come, and we have courts of justice and systems of justice. It's why we have things like discovery and depositions where they say, hey, we need to have all the evidence, whatever evidence this side wants to present as the plaintiff, whatever you want to present as the defendant, we need to hear it all so that we have a clear, full picture of the truth. But even there, ironically, our courts actually bar certain kinds of information. I mean, we, we were in litigation with a government entity and the government said the government doesn't have to share their board meeting minutes of when they actually made a decision to reverse something that was detrimental to you, but you do have to share discovery with them. They were like, we don't want you guys to know what they decided behind closed doors, but we want them to know the kind of conversations you've had with your attorney. So right there, we don't have full justice because we don't have the full picture. Thirdly, I said we often lack the power and the authority to enforce justice. I know it's a longing in some of your hearts to go and work on behalf of the oppressed and the marginalized and see them lifted. You want to see equity in their lives and justice in their lives. But 
that longing for justice doesn't always carry the day because you don't have the strength. You don't have the enforceable authority sometimes to do the things that you know are right. See, in the United States, you know that famous painting or the famous sculpture of Lady Justice and she's blindfolded? And the idea is not that she's blind to the truth. The idea is that she's not prejudiced. She can just, she's not seeing and saying, oh, I judge for you because you're white or you're black or you're rich or you're poor or you're this or you're that. The idea is she's objective and impartial. But we know in our country that Lady Justice is not objective and impartial. The justice is distorted. That very often those who, with money and power and privilege receive more justice, which in fact is no justice at all. And then let me mention this before I move on. Sometimes our ideas of justice don't correspond to reality. Okay, I said it was a good and right and healthy longing for justice. And when you see someone over the summer perhaps not receiving justice, but receiving grave injustice, and you are outraged in your soul, and you want to go seek justice, and so you go and just smash other innocent people's stuff all to pieces. I actually saw on another, on another pastor's social media over the summer in Minneapolis when a, a large block of privately owned small businesses was torched a couple nights after the killing of George Floyd. He posted a picture of this huge pillar of fire consuming all of these businesses, and he said, well done, good and faithful servants. Okay, that is not justice. And this is one of our problems is that in a retributive fashion, we see something wrong and we have such a longing to make it right and make those people that did that pay and feel some of what we felt. And very often we, sing, we swing the pendulum way too far the other way and we ourselves are guilty of injustice to get back at injustice. And it just goes around and around. But that brings me to the longings of the Old Testament people of God. Because so often, as you read almost anywhere in the Old Testament, the Psalms, the prophets in particular, but you read the stories of the kings, you read the stories of the priests, and you see and you hear in the words this deep longing for God, our own culture. We're the people of God. We have the Torah. We have God's law. And we ourselves, as a subculture, are not just. We steal from the poor. We oppress the widow and the orphan and the rich get richer and the powerful get more power consolidated in their role. And you can turn almost anywhere in the prophets in particular and they are decrying this injustice of the people of God are not just. And then they're looking at the outside oppressors, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, all these mega superpowers, Persia, and saying, God, when are you going to defend us from all of this injustice. So let me just give you a sampling of a few of these texts. Psalm 82, verses two through four. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. You hear the longing for someone to come and make things right? Psalm 98. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. 
Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and you're familiar with the, probably the first of these verses, but interestingly enough, we often stop there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But the very next verse goes on to say, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And then just one more. Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And that's just a sampling of the longings and expectations of Old Testament saints. But you hear a common thread. They wanted God to send a Messiah who would establish righteousness, justice, and equity now and forever. And I want you to note that these longings are that the Messiah would bring both retributive justice and restorative justice. By the way, I don't know why restorative justice has fallen out of favor with Christians of all people. Retributive justice is basically your due, okay? You do wrong, you get punished. You do right, you get rewarded. Restorative justice looks at a bigger picture and says, hey, there's been real harm suffered here. Okay, so do we just punish the wicked, throw them in jail? Or is a greater sense of justice saying, how do we reverse this harm? How do we bring healing and renewal to the person who's been impacted? And all of these longings of the Old Testament are like, God, we need retribution. And you see some of this, like the flaming fire and the sword and the death and all that, like the wicked die. But also there's a renewal for the people who have been harmed. Then they're longing and longing and longing and longing. And what I want to bring you back to on this chart now is how these longings of these Old Testament saints are fulfilled in Jesus. So each of these weeks, I'm going to say something similar right now, and that is simply that the New Testament unequivocally presents Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. There comes an important place in Matthew chapter 12 where it says, and Jesus did this to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah 42 that Alvin read for us at the beginning of the sermon. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name 
the Gentiles will hope. Sing, Jesus was on the side of the oppressed. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus kind of let down all the Old Testament saints, right? Because they're picturing, oh, Messiah is going to come. And he's going to come with this outpouring of retributive justice. And all those people out there that are oppressing us, and at this point in time, it's the Romans. But all those people out there are going to get what's coming to them. And the Messiah is going to say, this is my throne, Jerusalem. This is my kingdom. So y'all are going to get it. And my people are going to be saved. And of course, Jesus comes and he so often sides with the oppressed, but almost in a very quiet and humble and gentle way where you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And by the way, this is why many Jews still reject him to this day is because instead of just establishing justice once and for all, Jesus himself was the victim of injustice. And people are like, what's, what's that about? He obviously wasn't our Messiah, but he was and he is. And I want you to just think for a moment about why Jesus is uniquely qualified to fulfill this role and meet this longing. Number one, because he has total authority and power as the son of God. So when you see injustice and you want to do something about it, but you lack the resources, you lack the power, you lack the authority, Jesus never lacked the resources or the power or the authority. He is God, okay? Number two, Jesus knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. Okay, so he doesn't have to sit there and say, well, tell me the truth. Are you telling the truth? And try to weigh out, you know, who's, who's really lying here? Who's telling? He, he knows everything. Number three, Jesus is completely impartial and objective. He doesn't carry those prejudices in his heart, those lenses through which he views things that distort the truth. But then also, number four, Jesus wrote the standards of right and wrong. So when he's trying to hold your actions and my actions and the actions of the oppressor up to some standard, he knows the standard inside and out because he is the source of the standard. He is the source of righteousness. But I want us to think as we look at the fulfillment in Jesus, do you really want justice for yourself? I think it's easy to think like, well, of course I want justice. I want justice for myself. I want justice for others. But, but if you think about it, if God literally sees and knows absolutely everything about you and there's no prejudice for or against you, but God will just impartially give you exactly what you deserve according to a perfectly righteous standard, I'll ask you again, do you really want justice? We say we want justice, but in reality, we want justice for our enemies and we want mercy for ourselves. And actually, friends, this is a way where Jesus, in his fulfillment of our longing for justice, is something greater than we could have ever imagined. See, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, as I said, he didn't do a lot of the things that the Old Testament saints longed for. And he dies on a cross. And his earliest followers were usually persecuted, if not killed unjustly. And society for 2,000 years since have continued to practice injustice. So how can we say that Jesus fulfilled our longings for justice? And that brings us to a very important point of Advent. And it's something we call the already and the not yet. So when I let off, I said, we actually live between two Advents. And we look back to the first advent with gratitude and joy. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and doing what you did. 
we still look forward to a second coming of Jesus to come and to set all things right. And now we hear, now here we are in this like great big cosmic in-between time. And we don't know when Jesus is going to come again, just like the Old Testament saints didn't know when Jesus was going to come in the first place. They didn't even know his name. Okay, so we're looking back and we're looking forward at the same time. And we live in this in-between time. And it's important to understand and differentiate between what happened then in the first advent and what will happen then in the second advent. And let me just do that with you quickly. So in the first advent, Jesus already dealt with our sins justly and declared you righteous by faith. Okay, it would not have been just for Jesus or for God to simply say, hey, don't worry about your sins. They're no big deal. Because the nature of sin itself is it's, it's not just a defiance of the law of God. It is something that is directly contrary to the very nature of God. So, so God can't just say, hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But the whole picture of the first advent is that as you and I are longing for justice, and then we realize, oops, where would I be if I got justice? Well, I would be condemned because Jesus knows everything and he's impartial and he can't be fooled and I can't sweep stuff under the rug and I can't just say, oops, I'm sorry. So he would have to punish me. But instead, what did Jesus actually do in his first advent? Is he comes and he says, I'll live the life that you should have lived. But then what's the point of this convergence in the cross? The cross is saying, hey, Put their sin on my record. Somebody's got to pay for it. It's a debt. It has to be paid. But let me voluntarily pay the debt for my people, for those who trust me, for those who hope in me. And this is why Romans 3 can say that God is both just and merciful he is just because he's dealing with your sin. He's pouring out judgment. He's giving you your due, but he's giving it to Jesus because Jesus volunteered to take it. It's, it's why 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. But, but what else does it say? He's just to forgive us. What do you mean just? Just to forgive you? Yeah, because the sin has already been paid for. So instead of this kind of double jeopardy where he's like, hey, I'll, I'll voluntarily pay it for you, but then when you confess it, I might still hold it against you because you did a bad thing. It says he's just, he is righteous to forgive because of the first advent. But I think it's also important to understand we have not yet seen justice become a full reality. But friends, the Bible makes very clear Jesus is coming again. You know, there's this the incredible picture in Revelation of like riding this white horse and this robe dipped in blood and this sharp sword. And I mean, it's judgment. But especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand, so why are we waiting? Why, why today is the experience of my life mixed with so much injustice? Because it hurts and I long for justice. And the Bible's answer is because God is being patient. And by the way, when you go through those things that are unjust, it is okay for you to be frustrated. It is okay for you to be incensed in a righteous sense over injustice. But at the same time, would you let that injustice and the pain of it say, God, I hope for you. Jesus, I look for you. 
I'm excited for you to come again. But if you're not coming again, that means that the person who did this injustice to me is still an object of your grace. Perhaps you would forgive him or her. And that is what my life is about, is seeking not just justice in some barren, naked justice sense, but I want justice, yes. But Lord, I want mercy for this person who's hurt me. So let me just close with a couple of simple, practical things, and I call this the so what. Okay, you long for justice. Our society longs for justice. So what? What, what are you practically gonna do about that? And just three simple, practical things. Number one, I invite you to lament injustice. This is what we did over the summer when this series of deaths unjustly happened in our society is we got together as a church and we lamented. We grieved and we groaned together over the injustice of our society. Okay, we remember that this is not the way things were meant to be and this is not the way things will be. So this is different than just complaining and being angry and being worked up and just going and smashing stuff and taking retribution ourselves. This is lament. This is grieving deeply with hope that Jesus will yet make all things new. So lament. Number two, celebrate the justice of Jesus by living a life of repentance and righteousness. Okay, when you strive for a righteous life, I mean, you could do that in an arrogant, pharisaical, look at me, I'm awesome, I'm better than everyone sort of way. But this is not that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the fact that God holds up this standard and he says, I'm God and this conforms to reality. So when you do these things, you are living out of who I made you to be. When you don't do these things or when you do the opposite of these things, you're hurting yourself and you're probably hurting others. Okay, so when we celebrate righteousness, we're just saying, God, I trust you so much. I hope in your law, as David said. I love your law. Why? Because it shows me what a just God values. It shows me what a just and righteous and equitable God is like. But do you know every time you and I repent of our sins, we are celebrating the justice of God? Because repentance recognizes I fell short of the standard. But I'm taking it right back to the cross where Jesus put it on himself. And now I'm claiming this promise that he is not only faithful, but he's righteous. He's just to forgive me because of Jesus. So Lord, I'm celebrating not just your mercy, but I'm celebrating your justice when I confess my sin. And then thirdly and finally, fight injustice and inequities, especially those that disproportionately disadvantage the oppressed and the marginalized. I just thought of one simple example. You know, when all of our kids got forced home for school in March and many of them never went back to school, they're just at home, they're just online. Who does that disproportionately disadvantage? kids that don't have high-speed internet at home, kids that don't have a laptop. So, you know, our schools did something about that. They checked in, and that was righteous. That was just. You may think, oh, it's just taxpayer dollars, giving them all a laptop. Well, it, it levels the playing field. It's equity to say, how are you going to continue to learn? But we still have more justice to do in that area because if you don't have involved parents 
where you don't have someone that can take off and maybe sit with you. And many, many kids all across the country and around the world don't have the same opportunity. And they are falling further and further behind. And it's just tipping the playing field. So that's just one example of how we could say, God, here is an injustice. Here's a simple inequity in our society. And it pains me to see this. And I, as a follower of Jesus, a God of justice, want to do something about that. And by the way, do something. Instead of dreaming and talking about how you're going to do everything. <laughs> okay. It's, it's very easy for us to keep the justice doing in the theoretical of like, oh, there's such big things that we need to correct. And we just talk about it and talk about it. Just just go do something. Just do something. Impact someone's life with the justice of Jesus. Because then when we multiply that by hundreds or thousands or eventually millions of Christians who are just doing something, then we're right back to celebrating the longing. And we're saying, I'm going to do something with that. So I want you to hear me out. When you feel those longings for justice, when it makes you angry when you see injustice, don't suppress that longing for justice. Don't be cynical and just say, well, that's never going to happen. Take the longing to Jesus. Take your longing for justice to Jesus. Let Jesus define and let him satisfy your longing for justice. Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream.